Chapter Eighteen of the Life and Adventures of Sir Lancelot Greaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Life and Adventures of Sir Lancelot Greaves by Tobias Smollett. Chapter Eighteen in which the rays of chivalry shine with renovated lustre. Our hero little dreamed that he had a formidable rival in the person of the knight who arrived about eleven at the sign of the St. George, and, by the noise he made, gave intimation of his importance. This was no other than Squire Sycamore, who, having received advice that Miss Aurelia Darnell had eloped from the place of her retreat, immediately took the field in quest of that lovely fugitive hoping that should he have the good fortune to find her in present distress his good offices would not be rejected he had followed the chase so close that immediately after our adventurer's departure he alighted at the inn from whence aurelia had been conveyed and there he learned the particulars which we have related above Mr. Sycamore had a great deal of the childish romantic in his disposition, and, in the course of his amours, is said to have always taken more pleasure in the pursuit than in the final possession. He had heard of Sir Lancelot's extravagance, by which he was in some measure infected, and he dropped an insinuation that he could eclipse his rival, even in his own lunatic sphere this hint was not lost upon his companion counsellor and buffoon the facetious davy dawdle who had some humour and a great deal of mischief in his composition he looked upon his patron as a fool and his patron knew him to be both knave and fool yet the two characters suited each other so well that they could hardly exist asunder davy was an artful sycophant but he did not flatter in the usual way. On the contrary, he behaved en cavalier, and treated Sycamore, on whose bounty subsisted, with the most sarcastic familiarity. Nevertheless, he seasoned his freedom with certain qualifying ingredients, that subdued the bitterness of it, and was now become so necessary to the squire, that he had no idea of enjoyment, with which Dawdle was not somehow or other connected there had been a warm dispute betwixt them about the scheme of contesting the prize with sir lancelot in the lists of chivalry sycamore had insinuated that if he had a mind to play the fool he could wear armour wield a lance and manage a charger as well as sir lancelot greaves dawdle snatching the hint i had some time ago said he contrived a scheme for you which I was afraid you had not address enough to execute. It would be no difficult matter, in imitation of the bachelor, Samson Carrasco, to go in quest of Greaves as a knight-errant, defy him as a rival, and establish a compact by which the vanquished should obey the injunctions of the victor. "'That is my very idea!' cried Sycamore. "'Your idea?' replied the other had you ever an idea of your own conception 
thus the dispute began and was maintained with great vehemence until other arguments failing the squire offered to lay a wager of twenty guineas to this proposal dawdle answered by the interjection pish which inflamed sycamore to a repetition of the defiance you are in the right said dawdle to use such an argument as you know is by me unanswerable a wager of twenty guineas will at any time overthrow and confute all the logic of the most able syllogist who has not got a shilling in his pocket sycamore looked very grave at this declaration and after a short pause said i wonder dawdle what do you do with all your money i am surprised you should give yourself that trouble i never ask what you do with yours you have no occasion to ask you know pretty well how it goes what do you upbraid me with your favours tis mighty well sycamore nay dawdle i did not intend to affront sounds affront what d'ye mean i'll assure you davy you don't know me if you think i could be so ungenerous as to a, to a i always thought whatever faults or foibles you might have sycamore that you was not deficient in generosity though to be sure it is often very absurdly displayed ay that's one of my greatest foibles i can't refuse even a scoundrel when i think he is in want here dawdle take that note not i sir what d'ye mean what right have i to your notes nay but dawdle come by no means it looks like the abuse of good nature all the world knows your good nature to a fault come dear davy you shall you must oblige me thus urged dawdle accepted the bank-note with great reluctance and restored the idea to the right owner a suit of armour being brought from the garret or armoury of his ancestors he gave orders for having the pieces scoured and furbished up and his heart dilated with joy when he reflected upon the superb figure he should make when cased in complete steel and armed at all points for the combat when he was fitted with the other parts dawdle insisted on buckling on his helmet which weighed fifteen pounds and the headpiece being adjusted made such a clatter about his ears with a cudgel that his eyes had almost started from their sockets his voice was lost within the visor and his friend affected not to understand his meaning when he made signs with his gauntlets and endeavoured to close with him that he might wrest the cudgel from his hand at length he desisted saying i'll warrant the helmet sound by its ringing and taking it off found the squire in a cold sweat he would have achieved his first exploit on the spot had his strength permitted him to assault dawdle but what with want of air and the discipline he had undergone he had well-nigh swooned away and before he retrieved the use of his members he was appeased by the apologies of his companion who protested 
he meant nothing more than to try if the helmet was free of cracks and whether or not it would prove a good protection for the head it covered his excuses were accepted the armour was packed up and next morning mr sycamore set out from his own house accompanied by dawdle who undertook to perform the part of his squire at the approaching combat he was also attended by a servant on horseback who had charge of the armour and another who blowed the trumpet they no sooner understood that our hero was housed at the george than the trumpeter sounded a charge which alarmed sir lancelot and his company and disturbed honest captain crow in the middle of his first sleep their next step was to pen a challenge which when the stranger departed was by the trumpeter delivered with great ceremony into the hands of sir lancelot who read it in these words to the knight crescent greeting whereas i am informed you have the presumption to lay claim to the heart of the peerless aurelia darnell i give you notice that i can admit no rivalship in the affection of that paragon of beauty and i expect that you will either resign your pretensions or make it appear in single combat according to the law of arms and the institutions of chivalry that you are worthy to dispute her favour with him of the griffin polydor our adventurer was not a little surprised at this address which however he pocketed in silence and began to reflect not without mortification that he was treated as a lunatic by some person who wanted to amuse himself with the infirmities of his fellow-creatures mr thomas clark who saw the ceremony with which the letter was delivered and the emotions with which it was read hired him to the kitchen for intelligence and there learned that the stranger was squire sycamore he forthwith comprehended the nature of the billet and in the apprehension that bloodshed would ensue resolved to alarm his uncle that he might assist in keeping the peace he accordingly entered the apartment of the captain who had been waked by the trumpet and now peevishly asked the meaning of that damned piping as if all hands were called upon deck clark having imparted what he knew of the transaction together with his own conjectures the captain said he did not suppose as how they would engage by candlelight and that for his own part he should turn out in the larboard watch long enough before any signals could be hove out for forming the line with this assurance the lawyer retired to his nest where he did not fail to dream of mrs dolly cowslip while sir lancelot passed the night awake in ruminating on the strange challenge he had received he had got notice that the sender was mr sycamore and hesitated with himself whether he should not punish him for his impertinence but when he reflected on the nature of the dispute and the serious consequences it might produce he resolved to decline the combat as a trial of right and merit founded upon absurdity even in his maddest hours he never adopted those maxims of knight-errantry which related to challenges he always perceived the folly and wickedness of defying a man to mortal fight because he did not like the colour of his beard 
or the complexion of his mistress or of deciding by homicide whether he or his rival deserved the preference when it was the lady's prerogative to determine which should be the happy lover it was his opinion that chivalry was an useful institution while confined to its original purposes of protecting the innocent assisting the friendless and bringing the guilty to condign punishment but he could not conceive how these laws should be answered by violating every suggestion of reason and every precept of humanity captain crowe did not examine the matter so philosophically he took it for granted that in the morning the two knights would come to action and slept sound upon that supposition but he rose before it was day resolved to be somehow concerned in the fray and understanding that the stranger had a companion set him down immediately for his own antagonist so impatient was he to establish this secondary contest that by daybreak he entered the chamber of dawdle to which he was directed by the waiter and roused him with a hilloa that might have been heard at the distance of half a league dawdle startled by this terrific sound sprung out of bed and stood upright on the floor before he opened his eyes upon the object by which he had been so dreadfully alarmed but when he beheld the head of crow so swelled and swathed so livid hideous and grisly with a broadsword by his side and a case of pistols in his girdle he believed it was the apparition of some murdered man his hair bristled up his teeth chattered and his knees knocked he would have prayed but his tongue denied its office crow seeing his perturbation mayhap friend said he you take me for a buccaneer but i am no such person my name is captain crow i come not for your silver nor your gold your rigging nor your stowage but earing as how your friend intends to bring my friend sir lancelot greaves to action d'ye see i desire in the way of friendship that while they are engaged you and i as their seconds may lie bored and bored for a few glasses to divert one another d'ye see dawdle hearing this request began to retrieve his faculties and throwing himself into the attitude of hamlet when the ghost appears exclaimed in theatrical accent angels and ministers of grace defend us art thou a spirit of grace or goblin damned as he seemed to bend his eye on vacancy the captain began to think that he really saw something preternatural and stared wildly round then addressing himself to the terrified dawdle damned said he for what should i be damned if you are afraid of goblins brother put your trust in the lord and he'll prove a sheet anchor to you the other having by this time recollected himself perfectly continued notwithstanding to spout tragedy and in the words of macbeth pronounced what man dare i dare approach thou like the rugged russian bear the armed rhinoceros or hyrcanian tiger take any shape but that and my firm nerves shall never tremble where names jack cried the impatient mariner 
if so be as how you'll bear a hand and rig yourself and take a short trip with me into the offing we'll overhaul this here affair in the turning of a capstan at this juncture they were joined by mr sycamore in his nightgown and slippers disturbed by crow's first salute he sprung up and now expressed no small astonishment at first sight of the novice's countenance after having gazed alternately at him and dawdle who have we got here said he raw head and bloody bones when his friend slipping on his clothes gave him to understand that this was a friend of sir launcelot greaves and explained the purport of his errand he treated him with more civility he assured him that he should have the pleasure to break a spear with mr dawdle and signified his surprise that sir launcelot had made no answer to his letter it being by this time clear daylight and crow extremely interested in this affair he broke without ceremony into the knight's chamber and told him abruptly that the enemy had brought to and waited for his coming up in order to begin the action i've hailed his consort said he a shambling chattering fellow he took me first for a hobgoblin then called me names a tiger a rhinos ross and a persian bear but egad if i come athwart him i'll make him look like the bear and ragged staff before we part i will this intimation was not received with that alacrity which the captain expected to find in our adventurer who told him in a peremptory tone that he had no design to come to action and desired to be left to his repose crow forthwith retired crestfallen and muttered something which was never distinctly heard about eight in the morning mr dawdle brought him a formal message from the knight of the griffin desiring he would appoint the lists and give security of the field to which request he made answer in a very composed and solemn accent if the person who sent you thinks i have injured him let him without disguise or any such ridiculous ceremony explain the nature of the wrong and then i shall give such satisfaction as may suit my conscience and my character if he hath bestowed his affection upon any particular object and looks upon me as a favourite rival i shall not wrong the lady so much as to take any step that may prejudice her choice especially a step that contradicts my own reason as much as it would outrage the laws of my country if he who calls himself knight of the griffin is really desirous of treading in the paths of true chivalry he will not want opportunities of signalising his valour in the cause of virtue should he notwithstanding this declaration offer violence to me in the course of my occasions he will always find me in a posture of defence or should he persist in repeating his importunities i shall without ceremony chastise the messenger his declining the combat was interpreted into fear by mr sycamore who now became more insolent and ferocious on the supposition of our knight's timidity sir launcelot meanwhile went to breakfast with his friends and having put on his armour ordered the horses to be brought forth 
Then he paid the bill, and walking deliberately to the gate, in presence of Squire Sycamore and his attendants, vaulted at one spring into the saddle of Bronzamarte, whose neighing and curvetting proclaimed the joy he felt in being mounted by his accomplished master. Though the knight of the griffin did not think proper to insult his rival personally, his friend Dordle did not fail to crack some jokes on the figure and horsemanship of Crow, who again declared he should be glad to fall in with him upon the voyage. Nor did Mr. Clark's black patch and rueful countenance pass unnoticed and unridiculed. As for Timothy Crabshaw, he beheld his brother squire with the contempt of a veteran, and Gilbert paid him his compliments with his heels at parting. But when our adventurer and his retinue were clear of the inn, Mr. Sycamore ordered his trumpeter to sound a retreat by way of triumph over his antagonist. Perhaps he would have contented himself with this kind of victory, had not Dordle further inflamed his envy and ambition by launching out in praise of Sir Lancelot. He observed that his countenance was open and manly, his joints strong-knit, and his form unexceptionable, that he trod like Hercules, and vaulted into the saddle like a winged Mercury. Nay, he even hinted it was lucky for Sycamore that the knight of the crescent happened to be so pacifically disposed. His patron sickened at these praises, and took fire at the last observation. He affected to undervalue personal beauty, though the opinion of the world had been favourable to himself in that particular. He said he was at least two inches taller than Greaves, and as to shape and air, he would make no comparisons, but with respect to riding, he was sure he had a better seat than Sir Lancelot, and would wager five hundred to fifty guineas that he would unhorse him at the first encounter. "'There is no occasion for laying wagers,' replied Mr. Dordle. "'The doubt may be determined in half an hour. "'Sir Lancelot is not a man to avoid you at full gallop.' "'Sycamore, after some hesitation, "'declared he would follow and provoke him to battle, "'on condition that Dordle would engage Crow. "'And this condition was accepted. "'For, though Davy had no stomach to the trial,' he could not readily find an excuse for declining it. Besides, he had discovered the captain to be a very bad horseman, and resolved to eke out his own scanty valour with a border of ingenuity. The servants were immediately ordered to unpack the armour, and, in a little time, Mr. Sycamore made a very formidable appearance. But the scene that followed is too important to be huddled in at the end of a chapter— and therefore we shall reserve it for a more conspicuous place in these memoirs. End of chapter 18